Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 189. Uh, you've got Chris and Brian, and today we are going to talk about high-performance shooting. Uh, the term high-performance shooting, I think I first heard on a um, Redneck Live with Matt Pranka, uh, Mike Pannone, I think Ben Steger was on there, maybe one or the other of their usual cast of characters. Yeah. Uh, and it came about as a means of defining shooting um that's not competition shooting it's not tactical shooting it's just shooting at a very high level um where we're trying to not leave behind anything when it comes to speed or accuracy yeah uh, so we're just gonna we're gonna call it high performance shooting yeah i mean we're chasing the ultimate inefficiency whether it's when money's on the line or your ass is on the line um it doesn't really matter it's shooting the best you can shoot right running the gun yeah. the best you can run the gun fast and accurate yeah, efficient. Uh, you know, yeah. if we think about on the like on the driving side, um, there's high performance driving. Um, so whether you know you're doing pursuit driving or race car driving, yeah, um, you know we're putting the vehicle at the edge of what it can do given the surface conditions and the tires. Yep. Um, you know, in this case, we're trying to do the same thing with the gun. Uh, and when we, you know, on the car side, uh, you don't learn how to how to drive a car really fast from somebody who drives. A school bus yep um you do it with the race car driver yeah uh, so these are some somewhat you know lessons learned on the gun side from competition guys at a very high level um but things we've picked up you know from ben steger um from joel park uh practical shooting training the book yeah, yeah. which if you don't have um get on amazon and buy that it is the best 25 bucks you will spend you will do for your shooting um that i can think of yeah and i would say you know they're they're some of the conversations that we have in the shop, which are, are often, um, you know, we, we have these conversations and some people will say, you know, starting off with the basics, the fundamentals and stuff like that. Um, I actually had an opportunity to have a conversation with a gentleman who's law enforcement. Um, he had his girlfriend with him and he's talking about finding trigger reset on a, on a Glock with his girlfriend, who's a completely brand new shooter, completely, completely brand new shooter and, and working through the idea in, or in, in like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, teach you to find this so you know what it feels like, but it's something you're probably going to want to forget about. And I kind of, and that kind of clicked for me, um, because somebody else is like, you know, somebody else in the shop, you know, made the comment around, well, you know, you want to shoot from reset anyway, blah, 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 blah. So I don't know why you'd forget about that. And it's kind of like, yeah, um, that, that was 20 years ago. That was, you know, it's solid 10 years ago anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we talk about, you know, we see a lot of guys try, like they're trying on the trigger reset on a gun. Well, they're, all that reset's really crisp. Okay, cool. You're probably never going to use it again if, if you're being trained by somebody who's teaching you to maximize your efficiencies, which may sound counterintuitive because if you can pull the trigger again at reset, that's in theory the fastest way to do it, but that's not actually how it ends up working because you're chasing a tactile reference that you don't need. So, so bringing to, that in, is, we have to react to the reset. Exactly. So bring, yeah, we've got to react to the reset versus just coming off the trigger to a set place or a, a feel and going back at it every time. Um, you know, and so the conversation kind of came up. Well, the fastest guys in the world don't shoot from trigger reset. Trigger reset was designed to teach revolver shooters a way to pin the trigger to the rear gently as you're pulling through the back wall with a Glock, which had a serious back wall, and then to let out just far enough to catch the reset so you don't have to press the trigger any further than you needed to, 
because we weren't talking enough about grip because we were still doing 60-40 or, or, or some manner of weaver or something like that where you weren't as locked down as you could be. Yeah, or we had 13-pound New York trigger springs. All the above, you know. And so, so that this is, this is talking about how do, we, how, do we do, how do we maximize efficiencies and what other things we're looking at. And shooting is a visual thing. Um, you know, you know, Proctor over and over and over again. Shooting's a visual thing. Shooting's a visual thing. Shooting's a visual thing. Um, and 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 everybody else too, not not just Proctor. And then the aspect of you know gripping the gun in such a fashion that you know we talk about like how the rifle moves under recoil and getting back on the sight and tracking the front sight and stuff like that. And where was your shot when the trigger broke and blah 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 blah. But it doesn't seem like there's enough of that conversation with handguns. And that rides over to how are you holding the gun, your grip, and stuff like that. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of those things. And, and also kind of if you're looking at maybe taking a class or something like that, are you talking to the instructor about some of these things? Are they teaching some of these things? And it may not be that they're not capable. It may be that they don't know. It may be that they do know. But at your level of class, they're thinking that there's a different foundational aspect they want to start into this with. And I don't know that I di- agree or disagree with that. I've taught a lot of people how to shoot. But I'm also not somebody who, like, I, I I don't claim to have, like, the hacks or the creds to go out and say, I'm a firearms instructor. Um, but I've been doing this for a long time, and I know a little bit about it. So there's a conversation around sometimes I meet somebody who's a quote-unquote instructor, and they literally couldn't find their ass with both hands and a flashlight around a handgun and can't maintain some of the most basic standards as well, yeah. um, you know, that I struggle to get to but at least know what they are. Anyway. So that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, fundamentals. Grip. Yeah. Fundamentally, you know, grip. Grip. Um, grip. We want to hold the pistol firmly enough with our our strong side hand um, that the gun isn't going to move around. Um, but we need to be able to manipulate the trigger finger completely independently. Yeah. Um, which means that the gun's actually pretty loose in the, in the strong side hand. Comparatively. Comparatively. Yep. Um, Again, we like we need to be able to manipulate the trigger finger very quickly without putting any other additional movement into that hand. Yeah. Um, you know, if you have a pistol while you're listening to this, you can do this safely with the gun unloaded and all that. You know. Yeah. Ammo in a different a, room. Get a feel for what that feels yep, like. In a safe direction. Yep. Um, if not, you know, right now when you have an opportunity, get a feel for what that feels like. Uh, but you be able to to run the trigger quickly. Um, if you're crushing down with the strong side hand, uh, you can't run the trigger that fast. It's just not physically possible. Yeah, let's we'll talk. You know, a, a little bit about muscle tension and and um, the synergy of some of your extremities and how they work in concert with each other. Specifically, your hands and your toes. Uh, you know, if you take your fingers and splay them out, your hand palm down on a flat surface, and try and lift each of your fingers, you'll notice that like your ring finger doesn't want to lift as easily. Um, all those things are connected mechanically to some extent, but then also mentally to some extent as well, because your hands, do you, it, it's rare for you to use your hands unless you are um, an artist or a tradesperson that does fine or motor skill stuff, concert, perfect, pianist. concert pianist, you know, something like that. Um, you know, you're, you, everything wants to move together in concert. We're stronger together, etc. cetera. Um, and, and it matters. I mean, when you talk about doing, you know, do a two-finger deadlift, put, you know, put whatever let's say 50% of your PR on a deadlift bar and try and pick it up with two fingers versus four fingers, tell me there's not a difference kind of thing. They're used to working together. They work better together. Um, Make a tight fist and then try and operate one digit independently through its full range of motion. 
is damn near impossible without a lot of concentration and thought process and very little speed. Yeah. Okay. Versus make a loose hand and open your finger up and move it back and forth and stuff like that. But try and move it independently. You can, and it's the same kind of conversation with your with your primary, with yeah. your master, with your dominant, whatever you strong want to call side. it. Call strong side. Strong side. Strong side. So yeah. um, now flip over to the other hand. Yeah, with support the, with the support hand, absolutely crush the grip of the pistol. Yeah, and we're going to get rid of the idea of a weak hand. There, um, like the 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 support hand needs to to be way stronger um, and crushing the grip. Yep, we say crushing the grip. Like your arm should feel fatigued in ten seconds. Yeah, um, if you're doing this, unless you're, you know, a professional kettlebell sport person. Yeah, or maybe something a professional climber. Or maybe um, a, or an electrician, yeah. Where you're, you got to grab the shit out of stuff to cut wires and twist like, stuff together and have strong all, fingers, all strong hand. Yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. But that that support yeah. side hand, um, that is where all of the control of the pistol comes from. Yeah, is the support side hand. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I, you know, so it, it, the other thing too is you're not chasing a ton of dexterity with your support hand as well. So getting rid of the idea of weak hand totally. Because your support hand may be your stronger hand in this case to run the gun properly. Mm-hmm. And basically what you're doing is you're creating a massive pissed off violent taco to wrap around your other hand and squeeze the crap out of it with. <laughs> I like tacos, so we're going to use food analogies. If you know me, you know me. Uh, but yeah, you're crushing your hand. Um, from a reference point, you know, I, I used to talk to people about pressing the, your, your, your trigger finger on your support hand up against the bottom of the trigger guard as kind of that set point for where your hand should be on the gun as you roll into it. Uh, one of the things that I, one of the guys that we follow and get a lot of this information from is Matt Pranka, X-Ray Alpha. Um, and one of the things he talks about as a reference point of his support hand middle finger riding somewhere around the knuckle of his of his gun hand middle finger, uh, knuckle, the, the, the least dig- distal joint there um, toward the hand and getting that reference point and grinding up into it and then smashing the gun. And he also talks a lot about you having a, a consciously perfect grip on the gun yep. every time you do it, a consciously strong, perfect grip on the gun. Because that that's the best platform, that's the best foundation to shoot the gun from. Um, notice that we haven't spoken a whole lot about um, foundationally where your feet are. Yeah. So, so let's step away let's from. Get, let's step. We'll go back to the NRA. Most important thing: grip and stance. They got half of it right, maybe. Yeah, I will say. So on the stance side, um, prioritizing mobility. Um, so we want to be yes. in yep. what we call the Pannone Ready Stance, because yep. um, I first got this officially from Pannone. I actually had a, a class down at Tactical Response before I, I got trained with Pannone. Yeah. Um, there was a gentleman in that class who had a big Pelican case with a thing that went on the outside that said, Mr. TSA agent, you're not allowed to open this and inspect it. Yep. Um, and he shot in Pannone Stance, so I'm just going to guess that maybe he came from the same place. Maybe. Maybe, because yeah, um, I don't know his real name, and he didn't actually tell us where he worked. Yeah. Um, but the the Pannone Ready Stance, um, feet are just about shoulder width apart. Yep. Um, your support side foot is slightly in front of your strong side foot. Um, basically, that, that... Toe to arch, toe to heel. Toe to heel. Toe to heel. Okay. Yep. Um, these are flexed, so we can drop our butt just a little bit. Yep. Um, and from this stance... I can immediately move in any direction. Exactly. Stutter step. Exactly. 
Um, I have a good base to be able to lean forward a little bit and support the pistol. Yep. Um, and I can hang out there all day, and it doesn't look aggressive or threatening. Yep. And on top of all that, what did you said it gives you the ability to move. Yep. So if you are in a place where your feet aren't lined up, heel, toe, shoulder width apart because you're moving, if you have the proper grip on the gun, you can still control it while you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the reality is the bad guy gets a vote in the fight. If your gunfight starts with you out in the open, maybe you don't want to assume the perfect stance. Maybe you want to move your ass to a point of cover or a point of domination uh, or, or at least concealment or something. Um, so if you that grip is independent of what the, your lower body's doing, so we could talk all day about things like turret movement, um, dropping a knee one way or the other that we've discussed yeah. in the past to move, transition target to target, things of that nature, or threat to threat, as it were, depending on your environment. Um, it, the, the, the grip is, if you're not running the grip properly, it doesn't really matter what your feet are doing. You could, you could be doing the splits. Um, you know, here's looking at, at, at you, Taryn videos. Or John claude Finn. I like, yeah, I like, I like it when Taryn videos have the hot chicks doing the splits and shooting. It's freaking cool. I don't know that little Russian girl's name, but she's badass. God mm. love her. Anyway, um, sorry, I digress. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I mean, you know, like I said, you got, you had, you do have that optimal stance, but there's a good chance you may not be in it. And if you're a USPSA shooter, you may have targets close enough that you're at a dead run inside the box getting to your position. But as you run by a couple, you pop them on the way by because you can control the gun and you understand where your hips need to be and where your upper body positioning needs to be to drive the gun in an optimal fashion. Yeah. Yep. I'd almost say like your hip alignment matters more than exactly where your feet are at. If, if you can help uh, it. Because yep. we can do a lot of gross alignment of the gun with the hips. Mm-hmm. Um, where the hips are at are generally where the shoulders want to be. Yeah. And if we have the shoulders pointed, squared up at the target, yep. um, and our hips are too, we don't have a lot of internal tension through the spine. Yep. Um, so we're not fighting actively fighting against the body yeah. to get the gun where we need it to be. And that midline stability translates up through your lats into your shoulders and out through your arms. So that's going to allow you to, if you're turning at your hips rather than through your core, through yeah. your thorax, um, then the gun's going to track vertically as you shoot the gun better versus when you start adding intention around the shoulders that's not bilateral, that's not on both sides, then things get weird, and that's when the gun starts to go different places. Yeah. So um, that matters. You know, also keeps the, the arms kind of better aligned in that yep. you know, modern isosceles-type triangle Yep. versus being like, oh, I'm going to twist and then go into some, like, super funky, like, Whack, wonky weaver stance. Yeah, and 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 again, at some point, your gun. If it's a gun fight, maybe dictated differently to you. You may be forced to do that. If it's an ID, if it's a USPSA stage where someone set up something where you've got to shoot from the box, but around some manner of impediment visually to work around, um, that you may find yourself doing some of this stuff anyway. That's that is part of the game. But those are at the extreme. But if you're if you're gripping in general, your upper body positioning is correct to the target. Things will work a lot better, a lot faster, a lot more accurately a lot more consistently, a lot more efficiently. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, talking about grip, again, you know, hand, strong handshake grip with the primary, um, crushing the hell yeah. out of it with the with the support side, um, and then, you know, kind of making sure that the bone structure lineup of the wrist and stuff like that, there's some guys out there that for a while were teaching, like having the slide of the gun perfectly aligned with your forearm and some things like that. That I, I think that there's some variability that's accepted there based on the system you're forced to use or that you choose to use and the size of your hands, how your body's made a little bit. I think there's some variability that can be accepted there. But once you find out where you need to be, there's some consistency that 
has to be there once you discover how variable it needs to be. Yeah. That makes sense? Is yeah. Am I saying that? So, you know, once you figure out where the gun needs to be in your hand for you to reach the trigger properly and manage the trigger properly and fit your support hand around everything, then be freaking consistent about that. That's where you see the markers come out in some of these classes and you mark the hand for where the gun's supposed to be lined up, blah, 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 blah. That's chasing consistency. And that gives the instructor the opportunity to stand back and watch what you're doing and know, looking at your hand, where the rounds are probably going to go before you do anything. Yeah. Um, you know, with the grip, like if you're doing a bunch of stuff dry fire, one of the most important things is on every every rep, yeah. you know, to evaluate, okay, did the grip feel right? Mm -hmm. um, was I actually crushing down with the support side hand? Yep. Uh, because it is easy to get complacent with that stuff in dry fire. Yep. And then when you start running, you know, more extended drills with real ammo, um, your grip kind of isn't what it's supposed to be. Yeah. To be able to maintain, you know, a six, eight, ten, ten round string. Well, of just start with a bill drill. Yeah. Or doubles. Start with doubles or a bill drill and see what's happening, right? I mean, that kind of mentality. Yeah. You need to be able to hold it through that. A, a, a doubles drill is typically eight, like, you know, two, 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 and then the, the bill six, yeah. you know, go from there. That's as a metric, as a baseline. So, yeah. Um, the. There's, there's, again, some good videos specifically on grip from some of these guys uh, out there that you can chase down. I, I, I haven't heard enough of, like, I know Scott Jedlinski teaches a bunch of this stuff with Modern Samurai Project, too. Um, I haven't, but I haven't heard anybody articulate it the way that Pranka does that made sense to me. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to make sense to everybody, but the way he articulates it to me and the way he puts the mental pathway there to hear it in your head just kind of clicked for me and it's something that's made a significant difference literally in the last couple months is going out and chasing some of those videos down and watching you know one or two of the podcasts and those conversations just kind of clicked for me from him i'm not saying that like he walks on water i'm saying he shoots like a freaking god but i mean he knows this shit and he knows it from a very dangerous place that he's around to tell about it and then can go play the game with the other guys yeah. and run with them at, at the highest level too so it seems like a good dude to maybe be paying attention to um, so that, you know, just kind of some thoughts about where, you know, where you might be looking to go if you're running off of heaven forbid Weaver, but modern isosceles pinning the trigger to the rear, um, finding reset and talking about those kind of things, talking about 60, 40 grip, talking about that kind of stuff. Um, uh, one of the things that I hear consistently from these guys is, Hey, I'm going to jam a finger in the middle of your grip. You know, I want you to grip the gun like you're going to hold it. And I'm going to jam a finger in here and they're going to tell you, I don't care if it's 90, 10, 20, 30, 60, 40, 11, 40, whatever. They're going to jam a finger in there and go, yeah, you're not holding it tight enough because I can get a finger in there. And they're going to tell you what it feels like subjectively because they know what it feels like. Kind of like pulling the trigger. I know what it feels like to pull the trigger the right way. You can hold the gun. I can pull your trigger and not screw it up because I've done it enough times. It's that thing. And so it's a matter of getting out there and kind of finding it for yourself a little bit, which might take a few hundred rounds or more. Yeah. Or way more. Or way more. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Importance of the grip can't be overestablished. Having the physical ability to grip the pistol also can't be yep. like overemphasized. Yep. Um, you know, carrying, doing farmer's carries with kettlebells, kettlebell swings. Yep. Kettlebell snatches, maybe to a lesser extent, because I don't know if you have as much time under tension as you do with a swing. Yeah, but it's um, any of it. It's work. Yeah. Do the work. Um, but doing that, you know, over and over and over again. Captain's um, a crush. Um, grip strength yeah. shit sitting in traffic. 
um, yeah, yeah, drills like, like that. Doing, you know, just building pure grip strength. Yeah. Um, there is, to, to pull another car analogy, there is no replacement for displacement when it comes to torque. Yep. Um, and we need that, you know, ability to just absolutely crush the pistol. Deadlifts. Deadlifts will be yeah. good. Watch your lower back. Take care of yourself. Don't do stupid shit. Slow um, deadlifts. Yeah. You know, yeah, time under tension kind of stuff. Um, if, if when we're ready to move on, are we ready? Is that, is that beat up on grip I, enough? I think we beat up on grip. Okay, cool. Um, so grip is the foundation for the visual aspect. If you're not holding the gun properly and you're not you're not giving the gun the proper foundation with your grip when you get it up to your eye line, it's not going to be pointed where you want it. Either at first, which you can tweak that and adjust that. It's called milking the grip. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. one of those things you don't want to do. You want to get it perfect from the word go, if you can, yeah. understanding that sometimes your draw stroke's not perfect, especially from concealment. Um, in a in a competition environment, your draw stroke's your foul shot. It's one of the things you can practice over and over and over again. So if you screw up your draw stroke from a great big outside the waistband competition holster, which is not actually a holster, it's some kind of clip that holds your gun in the same place every time, um, you really need to work on that because it's the one thing you can practice really without any impediment. Well, it's one of the many things actually, but you can practice that. Yeah. When you start going to concealment, things change, especially if you're training for concealment in the real world. Um, I know, I think precisely one person who has a uniform of the day. Yeah, I know. I mean, and I don't mean that's not picking on him. He is a professional at arms. He is a professional instructor. He's ridiculously consistent when he's on the range. He's ridiculously consistent when he's not on the range um, in a lot of things. So, I mean, there is that consistency. This this individual wears a uniform at work, and then he wears a uniform in civilian life. And so there is that consistency. Um, and it shows in everything he does. You know, it, it, it's super, super, super consistent and very good at it. Yeah. So the rest of us who wear different color shirts on different days or wear different pants on different days or, or, different types of shirts or have different other days. pairs of shoes. Um there's this reality check about, you know, so if, if you do choose to have that variability in your wardrobe, okay, there there's a price. There's absolutely a price. And that price may be that you don't get the perfect grasp on the gun. You get t-shirt in the way. You get this in the way. You get that in the way. And so some of this is predicated on practicing that draw from different modes of attire. If it's wintertime and you're wearing more clothes, if it's summertime, you're wearing less clothes. If you change up holsters or guns because of those things as well, all that comes into it. But it's understanding that it's probably more critical for the concealed carry guy to work on his snatch from the holster than it might be for the competition guy because the competition guy is always going to be in the same place with the same things in the way, which should be nothing. Yeah. Okay. For, for a concealed carry guy, it's going to be working on getting stuff out of your way and being consistent with it. The other thing is the gun's a lot closer to your body. And so the gun tends to move around angle-wise yep. and like how close the grip is to the belt and things like that a lot more yep. too. Absolutely. And and some of those things you can adjust, some of those things you can't. Some of that's based on body type. You know, I carry appendix and I'm chubby, so I can't go super high without the gun printing like Gutenberg. Um, you know, and when you and you see some of these guys out there and they have the gun super high and they're fat and the gun is pointed back into their pelvis. Um I don't know. I, I'm just not cool with that. I'd, and, and, and it's obvious they're carrying a gun. It's one of those, hey, is that you know 12 bananas hanging out of your belt? Or are you just happy to see me? Or is that a gun are you carrying? Um, you know, versus somebody who's trim and athletic and doesn't have a gut can carry appendix with the gun fairly high and get away with it with a relatively loose shirt or a style of clothing. Um, all those things play into it. Are you getting the perfect grip on the gun? And from concealment, it's harder. It's harder. The gun's up against you. And I tend to carry the gun up against me, you know, even under a t-shirt and stuff like that. 
Um, so when you're getting into that, that those things affect your grip and need to be practiced and practiced and practiced. And then understand occasionally shit happens and stuff gets in the way. Maybe you're seated when you draw, when you don't normally practice that way. Maybe you're coming up from the ground trying to draw your gun. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows what's going on in a fight, you know? So understand that, that those things come into the conversation, but you, you need to work through that and figure it out and get those two hands together to create that consistent baseline so that you're bringing your gun up. You can, you can go to the visual aspect of shooting next. So work through that. Yeah. Practice that. Um, practice that to perfection as good as you can get it, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Visual. Back to the visual, because we back to the visual, to right? For a bit, yeah, that's right. But I mean, yeah. back to the visual, because that's where yeah. it leads to. Visually, um, the human mind and eye, over thousands of years, has gotten very good at looking at things and then pointing things at them. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to the visual side, we want to maintain, you know, a hard target focus yep. um, with our with our eyes, uh, and then bring the pistol up to the eyes um and rock and roll with that yeah and and so so i'm gonna if you wouldn't mind because because the the one two and three, three. come into this yeah. conversation visually let's talk about one two and three because you're putting the gun up in front of you consistently in the same place and we'll come back to dots versus irons for just a, after a minute but yeah. let's talk about this from a confirmation standpoint so the the whole idea of we talked about visual confirmation um, this concept comes from Wansit Kim. Um, he's call him a contributor to the practical shooting training group. Um, definitely pulled a lot of the material from him into practical shooting training. Um, he's buddies with Steger and Park, uh, one of the Korean brothers, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is um, confirmation one from a visual sighting system perspective. Uh, we've got a reference of the gun at the target um for most of us this is inside of five yards yep um this is not point shooting um we are act actively using the sights um we're getting a flash of the sights mm -hmm. on the target um because we're staying target focused so as soon as i see you know the sights on the target that first initial flash um, i'm ready to shoot uh, confirmation two, I'm seeing, you know, a, a good approximation of the sights um, in the part of the target that I want them to be in, um, and then again, I'm I'm gonna run the run the shot or shots. Yeah. Uh, confirmation three, I'm you know making sure the sights are exactly where I want them. I'm confirming that they're exactly where I want them, and then I'm gonna shoot. So I want you to call right or wrong on this. Yeah. Um, one could include the shape of the gun as part of the sight alignment conversation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or the window of the optic. Okay. Um, or I put the optic. The top the of the optic. The optic like is framing the target. Yeah. Um, or the top of the optics at the chin or something like that. Yeah. Or something like that. Something visually where maybe you've got some of the sights somewhere that you've seen for that instant, that flash. And you know from the alignment of your grip. The index. The index that you're there. Yep. Two might be finding the front sight to some extent. Maybe it's not a hard front sight focus or finding the dot kind of where you want it, but not everything's not perfect. It's just good enough to press the shot. 
Is that yeah? And so then you can say no. I'm 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 asking for clarification. That, that's sake. kind of like where it's at with confirmation too. Okay. Um, you know, I've got a front sight inside with irons. I've got a front sight inside of the rear sights. Okay. Um, but I'm not looking for equal height, equal light. It's just close enough. It's close enough. Okay. Um, yeah. Most of, most I'm gonna say most of us confirmation two is good through 10, 12, 15 yards. Yep. Um, again, depending on how good your index is, depending yep. on how good your grip is, um, and then how confident you are in being able on the index that, you know, the sights are aligned yeah. or that, you know, the dot is centered up in the window. Yeah. Um, if we're shooting a dot, you know, confirmation two is I've got the dot in the center of the target. Yeah. As soon as I think I see it in the center of the target, um, I'm going to rock and roll, yep. uh, but I'm not going to try to perfectly center it. Um, but it's a little bit more than just seeing, you know, a flash of color on the target, which okay. would be confirmation one. Okay. And then, you know, confirmation three, you know, with irons, equal height, equal light, yep. you know, lollipopping exactly where you want target to be. Yeah. Um, you know, with a dot, I've got the dot centered up in the window. I've got centered up on the target. Yep. Um, it's a more, you know, precision shot with confirmation three. More refined. More refined. There, there, there are levels of refinement. Yeah. Essentially in sight picture. You know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna if I have to guarantee a headshot at fifteen yards yeah. or we're shooting a post it note yeah. at fifteen yards, it's a confirmation three shot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if I need to make a C zone hit at ten, confirmation two. Yeah. You know, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yeah. And the and the foundation for all that is is grip yeah. index. Is yeah. where you're gripping the gun, higher gripping the gun, being consistent, getting it where it needs to be. So visually you can do what you need to do. Um, with that and, and all else are things that we'd like to work toward perfection with that what, where your feet are at whether you're moving whether you're not moving all those different things will be dictated to you either by the target array in a match um, or or by what you're given in the fight what, based on yeah. terrain and based on what the bad guy or bad guys are doing so that's yeah. you're trying to stack those two things um, and put those two things together uh, the, the the paradigm shift and how we talk about it how it's codified it, it, it's not just how we talk about it. It's different from what we've been doing. Yeah, it's different. It's, I mean, it's just, and that's, and that's where we're talking about this. Like it's a, like it's a new thing. And I, I, I think, I, I don't know. I don't know if it is or not, because then maybe there's been some ninjas doing this shit for a long time that I don't know about. It's new enough to me, but it's a paradigm shift in how it's been codified to me by some of the prank up podcasts. Some yeah. of the stuff Proctor says, some of the things you guys say, I've heard it differently, and then us training with it and practicing yeah. it and coming out of the book has made a difference. Uh, you know, I think this is my opinion um, and completely subjecture. Yeah. Is that even it is now. It is you just now. used it. We're using it now. Yeah. Uh, you know, looking at kind of where, who was, who was in which places when, and when they talk about bringing people in as outside resources to train them. Yeah. I, I think even at the like super ninja level, yeah, um, this approach is relatively new in the last maybe 10, 12 years. Is it new in the competition level? Um, competition level. I mean, I if you went say, to Robbie Latham and said, in 2000, what would do these things make sense in 2000? Probably. Probably at that um, level. And even like maybe going back to like the Brian and Enos. Yeah. Stuff from the nineties. Like well, yeah. Cause you know, I think I, I, I think that Enos was one of the early IDPA guys, so that would have put it at 95, 97, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but it really, like, Stager's the one that actually codified this stuff and yeah. wrote it down and made it repeatable. Yeah. And made it, 
you know, definable enough to where we now have a textbook yep. to reference. Um, the biggest, you know, the biggest difference with being target focused uh, is it makes it a lot easier to transition between targets. Yes. Uh, because I can just look between the targets. I don't have to keep going back and forth between the target and the front sight um, on iron sights or between the target and the dot if we're shooting the dot. But, 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 front sight focus, front sight, front sight press, front sight, front sight academy, but, 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 yeah, index, grip and index. There may be a point where you've got to find a clear, crystal clear front sight focus and you can't focus on the threat. The question is, is if it's trying to stab you or shoot at you, will you be able to? Probably not. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you're that good. Maybe you're not. I don't know. But there's a reality check around that, that if you're running irons, again, one of the guys that we shoot with, um, has gotten to a point where he's ran the index, ran this mentality of confirmation one, two, and three, and having the perfect grip, perfect index on the gun, hardcore and driving the gun, is doing shit where he's not, where he's still allowing himself, even with iron sights, to be target focused at distances. I don't think people thought you could do it before. Um, there's a mechanical yeah. aspect to being, to training it, that it, and driving that. Yeah, I mean, if you if you really like with irons and honestly it's almost 2023 like irons on pistols are obsolete yeah um, um i mean if it's what you have it's what you have you still need to know how to use it but if, they're obsolete but they're put in versus putting a dot we put yeah. we put dots on every freaking rifle issued to anybody anywhere where leadership actually has a freaking p in their head to think with yeah the smallest pebble the smallest rock in their head to think with there's an optic on the gun at that point, and there's a reason for it, and I think that's starting to translate to handguns, um, finally. Yeah, with, even with irons, um, you know, looking at, you know, as our eyes age, be able to find things at arm's length becomes yep. increasingly difficult. Yep. Um, generally seeing things on the distance does not. Well, your which, lens, your lens well, loses flexibility. Okay, sorry. Uh, which gives us an advantage, you know, if we're staying target focused, yep. it also lets us better track the target or the threat. Yeah. Um, so bringing the gun up, again, because we're really good at looking at things and pointing things at yep. them. Um, bringing the gun up with a consistent index, we still see you know, the front sight and see the rear sight, and we see it aligned to the target, Yep. Uh, which gives you the, the ability to do what we need to do, um, even with irons out through yeah. 30, 40 yards, yep. maybe farther. Yeah. Um, we don't really shoot irons on pistols yeah. much anymore because we've, Chris and I have both transitioned to red dots um, yeah. because it's faster, um, way more accurate, way more lethal. Yeah. Um, and it's honestly, it's it's such an unfair advantage at this point if you don't have it. Yeah. Um, that there's no reason not to have a dot on your pistol. Absolutely, absolutely. And and you know, like I said, the the, the and when they you know if if you've been if you learned on irons you know like most of us did. Um, transitioning back to irons is a gear shift mentally, not physically. Yeah. So, so when it, so when you do forget to turn your dot off of auto, you're on an outdoor range. It gets dark. You flick on your light, and you can't see your damn dot because it's still dim because there's no reflected light coming back, telling it to get brighter. The system is shut down because the operator screwed up, not because the system was broken. The system did exactly what it's supposed to do. The operator needs to be able to go. Oh, well, I still have these bumpy things on top of the gun. Let's just go ahead and use those. And, and that's a training thing. And, and, yep. and while I absolutely agree you need to learn how to have irons because it's a backup system to the primary, you need to understand the fundamentals of how to use them. 
I think when you're training a new shooter, this goes back to the trainer mentality currently. When you're training a new shooter, I think you're way better off to teach the shooter to be target focused, to teach the shooter to grip the living crap out of the gun, to teach the shooter those confirmations and run through those confirmations and do and, and utilize everything, the sights appropriately or the dot appropriately as is needed yeah. to engage with the amount of precision you need to engage that the efficiency dictates for what you're trying to achieve. So at that point, if you go back to using your irons for some reason, because you have to, great, use them appropriately. Yeah, and I would train a new shooter to use a dot right off the bat. Too. Absolutely, I would. Um, yes. Know, learning to run the gun with the dot, um, we learn how to process a lot more visual information Yep. a lot faster. Yep. Um, and you learn, too, a lot more about what information is critical and what is not. That's right. Uh, so that when you do go back to irons, um, you can apply those lessons, and it makes it a lot easier to skip over the. There's there's a whole bunch of information with irons that really doesn't matter. Yep. Yeah, and I do think you learn. You know, where's how much dot precision do I need? Okay, then that translates over to the irons. Um, the front sight's kind of near the rear sight. We'll be okay on this shot, or not. Yeah. You learn that. The other thing you learn is you, you I, I think probably as importantly as anything else, is you learn to remain target focused. What's the target doing? If you're a professional end user of firearms, i.e. law enforcement or military or something like that, I think that it's super critical that you maintain target focus. If you could find a way to go to hard front sight focus, maybe the target stops doing what it was doing is no longer a threat, but hey, it's on video and you shot him anyway. Maintaining target focus may be the thing yeah. that saves your life. It may be the thing that saves someone else's life or keeps you from going to jail or whatever. Yeah. So that matters too in the real world. Uh, yeah, the other thing being target focused does is it lets you, you know, during dry fire practice, honestly, even during live fire practice, it lets you better see what the gun is actually doing um, yeah. as you're pressing the trigger. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the dot, with the red dot in dry fire, this gets a lot easier because we can see the dot move around. Yep. Um, with irons, yeah, we still see the irons move around, but I don't think we see the extent to which the irons move around as, yeah. as well. Um, you know, using like a one inch post-it note at the end of a long hallway yeah, uh, and using that as a dry fire target when we're working, you know, grip and trigger yeah, uh, to make sure we're, we're able to press the trigger straight back to the rear without changing the sight picture we have yeah, uh, becomes really useful. Uh, and it gives you the ability to know, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot these shots and yeah. I know what the gun is going to do. And I, I have confidence that I'm not going to disturb the sight picture while I do that. And then you're going to go to live fire to confirm that it worked. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and there's, there's probably a whole other conversation we could do about the transition from irons to the dot. If you're there, if you're already on irons and you're going to the dot, I think that's probably at this point, another podcast, Definitely um, another but podcast. that's something to talk about as a part two to this one at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, kind of looking at though, this is, you know, the, the modern way of doing things. What did you call performance, high performance, high performance shooting. So yeah. yeah. And this is uh, guys scratching the surface here, totally scratching the surface here. This is some kind of hoping to give you guys some foundational information and, and uh, along with the idea of when you start interviewing trainers for, for, you know, the next place you're going to spend $500 in a weekend to go learn to shoot from somebody. I, I, I think that maybe even if you're a very, very, very new shooter, you probably still want to look for this this person to teach you um, rather than the old way uh, because I think the old way lays some foundations that you're going to want to undo anyway. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think I think you're just talking about 
you're building a foundation on something you're going to try and pull out from underneath the house at some point and put a new foundation under it. Um, if you're an experienced shooter and you, and this, some of this sounds new to you or sounds like new ideas to you, start tracking these people down, start watching some of these podcasts and start, you know, just start chasing these people, buy the damn book, yep. buy the damn book, um, and go on and then not get caught up in the egos of who's teaching what in minutia because the guys that are actually doing it at a high level are doing this, whatever they call it. Yeah. Have those. So it gives you some, a way to have that conversation when you're talking to a trainer about getting more information. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. Good um, stuff. Yeah. As we come across things like these, um, we try to put them up on our social media. You can follow us along on Facebook and Instagram. Um, on Facebook, we're Capsi Outfitters. On Instagram, we're Capsi Outfitters 2. Uh, we apologize for lack of pictures. Uh, we're trying to figure out ways to get around the commie bastards at Meta and yep. their, their sensor robots. Elon, please buy Meta. Yes. Uh, <laughs> on our website, capcityoutfitters.com, you can find valuable information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor from our storefront over at silencershop.com. Um, you can also sign up for our email newsletter that goes out once a week or drop us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com. We'll add you to the newsletter list. Uh, we are here in Hilliard, Ohio. We're at 4465 Cemetery Road. Uh, we're in front of the Aldi's. We're directly next to Lou's Fusion Drill. We're here Tuesday through Friday, 10 to 5, and on Saturdays from 10 to 3, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in.